Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday evening, beginning at 6 p.m. Central, right here in Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Each week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. Starting March 7th, I'll be adding the Coach's Corner panel to the mix, beginning the show with a great discussion, followed by an insightful interview with this evening's guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's special guest. All right. Good morning, rather than good evening, and welcome to a special encore presentation of Golf Talk Live. I'm very honored this morning to welcome my special guest uh, here in just a moment, uh, the legendary Gary Player. Uh, But first, let me remind everybody that uh, Golf Talk Live is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, iGolf Sports uh, is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And of course, Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top PGA and LPGA professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. So subscribe today at golftipsmag.com. All right, as I mentioned, this is a special encore presentation of Golf Talk Live, as you heard in the intro. Uh, My show normally airs Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 Central or 7 to 9 Eastern, but uh, I decided to make a, a special presentation for uh, my guest this morning, uh, very honored to have him join me. And I'm going to tell you, for those, uh, I think most of you out there that uh, follow golf know uh, Gary very well and his record, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then we're going to uh, uh, bring him on and, and have our discussion this morning. Of course, Gary, as I mentioned, is a uh, legendary player uh, referred to as the Black Knight. Uh, he's won nine uh, times uh, in the major championships, including three Masters, a U.S. Open, three Open Championships, and two PGA Championships. Uh, He's won over 167 professional golf tournaments worldwide and is one of only five men to capture golf's coveted career Grand Slam. In addition to winning nine major championships on the PGA Tour, he also won nine major championships on the Champions or Seniors Tour and is the only player in history to complete the Grand Slam on both of those tours. Of course, he's raised uh, more than $62 million for underprivileged children's educational globally, through the efforts of the Gary, uh, sorry, the Player Foundation and the Gary Player Invitational Series in South Africa, China, USA, UK, UAE, and Japan, and with a goal to raise 100 million by 2025, uh, he's designed nearly 400 golf courses worldwide, and uh, has been recognized uh, with such awards as the Loris Lifetime Achievement Award and the PGA Tour's Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, he currently serves as the global ambassador to the World Golf Hall of Fame and has been dubbed the Black Knight, Mr. Fitness, and the world's most traveled athlete, having traveled more than 26 million kilometers uh, worldwide. And uh, in 2016, he captained the South African Olympic golf team in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, please welcome this morning my very special guest, Mr. Gary Player. Good morning, Ted. Good, good morning, Gary. Thank you very much for uh, joining me this Wednesday morning, and uh, I'm really, really excited and looking forward to our, our discussion. Well, thank so you. I'm looking forward we were... to it as well. Thank you very much. We've got a lot to talk about. You know, golf, it's an amazing game. The yeah. swing takes one, takes one second, and there have been a million words written about it. <laughs> <laughs> at least, yeah, at least a million, uh, and, and probably a good many of them by yourself. Um, but uh, you've been certainly, you know, we were talking, it's interesting, because we were talking about a few different things off air, and and, uh, you know, you have obviously, and, and uh, we would be here the whole hour if I had to read out every single uh, one of your accolades uh, in your career. But, um, you know, really, Gary, one of the things that I admired most about you is what you've done off of the golf course. And, you know, obviously your, your record stands, but you've done so many great things as a humanitarian, which I know that you're equally, if not more, proud of. Absolutely. Uh, when we leave that, here one day, um, right? When we leave here one day, they're not going to say how many tournaments did you, did you win. I think it's going to be judged on a different system. But for me, mm-hmm. you know, having lived uh, in a segregated country like America was when I first came here, but we had the apartheid system, and I was denied. We were denied 
freedom as we know it today and something that I really, really cherish. Uh, it's When you don't have it, that's when you really yearn for it. And my brother, at 17 years of age, went to war to fight with the Americans and the British, and so did my uh, brother, my future, future brother-in-law, who was engaged to my sister. He got killed, but my brother didn't. He came back. And if you think of the wonderful American soldiers that fought in Normandy, uh, if you think of Pearl Harbor, if you think of Dunkirk, you can go on and on and on and on and mention just how many of these young people gave their lives for freedom. And this is something we right. must never forget. And a lot of people, politicians, etc., are inclined to forget about that and how we really cherish it. And, you know, when I hear people talking about socialism, um, I right. tell you, Having traveled more miles than any human being ever, I've seen numerous countries that have practiced socialism, and I wish the young people of America who I admire, I wish they could just go to these countries and spend one week there. They'd come back and they yep. would kiss the ground every day of their life <laughs> in the greatest country of the world, the United States of America. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I, I think that's, you know... When you know we talked briefly about you know um, social media and things and and obviously the internet allows us to see so many different things, but you're seeing what's being presented in social media. You're not seeing necessarily the facts. And you know a lot of these places look wonderful, and I'm sure in many ways they are um, when you look at the pictures and and so forth. But as you said, when you actually get there, spend a little bit of time and see how it actually is running. Um, you're exactly right in your point. It's it's not what you think it is, and uh, yeah, they should be very uh, blessed and honored to, when they return home here to the United States. Uh, uh, that they're they're living in and certainly one of the best countries in the world. So yes, let me ask I you blame, also I to also blame colleges too because the you know <clears throat> they teaching <clears throat> they brainwashing children to a large degree on certain things uh, that in my mm -hmm. opinion in my opinion are not correct. And we must never forget what made this country great. Yes, America has faults, like anywhere else. But my goodness mm -hmm. me, this country is the greatest country that has ever existed, ever. This and Britain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, now, this brings me to something I know that you're, you're very, very uh, humbled by, and I wanted to mention it, even though it hasn't officially taken place yet, but you were made aware of it. Uh, and that is, uh, you've been uh, told that you were going to be receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom, uh, and that was actually supposed to take place a few weeks ago, but obviously because of our current uh, global pandemic uh, and circumstances, uh, that's been postponed. When you first heard the news, Gary, um, that you were going to be receiving this honor, and just I want to make a side note before you answer, uh, that you were one of two international athletes to receive this. The other one was Sweden's Annika Sorensen. Um, what was your reaction? What, what, how did you feel when you first heard the news that you were going to be receiving uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom? Well, first of all, I have great respect. I've loved all presidents of America, and uh, I just respect it so much to get some award like this, which is the greatest award that exists <clears throat> for a young man from South Africa who was poor and who struggled in life to be recognized other than his golfing prowess, was such an honor for me, of which I appreciate the United States of America awarding me with this medal. Because <clears throat> in my life, I've tried, tried very hard, and I could give you 50 examples of what I've tried to do for human rights and for freedom. Mm -hmm. And so to be recognized that is something far more important than to be recognized as a world champion golfer. I'd like to just give you... <clears throat> Uh, two fine examples that happened uh, in my career. When I first came to America, Charlie Sifford <clears throat> was not allowed mm -hmm. to play on the tour. And I went to right. bat with him with the PGA. And then I went up to his golf course in Cleveland and spent time with him. And eventually he got to play the tour. And when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he asked me as a white South African, he asked me right. to induct him into the Hall of Fame. You know, that was one of the most touching things that ever happened to me. And then Lee Elder, the African-American golfer, I right. wanted to try and...
put a, a spoke in the wheel of apartheid. And in 1969, I invited Lee Elder out to South Africa. But in those days, they had such strict systems. Can you believe it? You had to get permission. Yep. So I went to our prime minister, who I would played golf with and I knew. And he was a believer in apartheid. And thank goodness I played a few rounds of golf with him because I could get to see him in his office. And I said to him, I want to put a spoke in the wheel of apartheid in sport. I want to get it started. I'd like to bring a black golfer from America. And he said, he pondered for a while. I thought he was going to say, get out of my office. Eventually he (laughs) said, go ahead. And Lee Elder came to South Africa, also under great pressure, from certain black uh, uh, people in America here. But he came down to South Africa. The PJ was a great success. We played other venues as well. And, gee, that for me, to start, you know, disintegration of apartheid and sport was such a very, very big thing. And so for me, those kind of things have given me a great thrill in my life. Well, and that's exactly my point that I was making uh, you know, a moment ago, Gary, is, uh, again, your, your record speaks for itself in golf, but you have done so many things that a lot of people may not be aware of, and that's, that's a good example um, that you've just given uh, of the things that you've done outside golf. And, you know, I, I've really looked at this um, in, in a lot of different ways, but particularly um, for somebody in, in your position, really golf is a vessel that you've been able to use to accomplish not just the wins, but to accomplish and it's given you access to things that maybe you might not have gotten to before um, and you've been able to do through your foundations uh, and through uh, many other uh, advent- uh, um, areas of, of your, your business life have been able to do. So really golf has really been a tool for you and, and given you uh, a lot of great <laughs> exposure to be able to do some wonderful things like you just mentioned for Lee Elders. You know, I was a four-letter man at school <clears throat> And golf is more difficult than all four of those sports put together. But the great advantage of golf is that you've got a sport forever. Here I'm 84, and I'm still averaging on a normal length golf course 72. Pa, beating my age. I've beaten my wow. age over 2,000 times in a row. Golf has enabled me to travel more than any human being. I've dined with presidents mm-hmm. of America, with the royal family I've been with. I've been with the emirs in the Middle East. I've been with movie stars. I've been with the poor people in India in their villages and the poor people in, in South Africa. So it's been a journey that you cannot ever possibly get in any other sport. And I've been a pro now for 60 I think it's 63 or 65 years. Can you imagine that? So it's enabled. Wow. It's, it's had a journey that has been so different, so different to any other sport. Golf is the passport to the world. Young right. people, if they're going to choose a sport, they should choose golf because it's a lesson. It's a college degree, golf. It teaches you so mm-hmm. many things. You've got to be on time. Yep. I was late once in my whole career by two seconds and got a two-shot penalty. You've mm. got to actually, you've got to learn to lose, and you've got to learn to win, and, and, and obey rules. And, 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 but you can't, you can't, you know, to tell somebody they've got to obey rules now, they don't want to do that. And you've got to learn <laughs> to lose properly, because losing is part yeah. of the game. And you've got to learn to lose decently, and you've got to win decently. And it teaches you to have the most important word is respect. That is so important. Yeah, yeah well said. And, and you're exactly right. You know, what, what's interesting about something you, you had just said that, that really just struck you know, so many people in your position, Gary, who've gone on to have incredible <clears throat> success, sometimes forget those that are less fortunate. Um, but this is one of the things that has impressed me. I mean, I've followed you. Uh, I'm 56, just to give you an idea. I've followed you and, and other greats like Jack and, and Arnie and, and so forth. Um, but one of the things that really impressed me about you was the fact that your passion for those that are less fortunate. Many times, and you know I'm, I'm right about this, that many times you see people, once they've got success, you know, they're, they're, you know, they'll dine with the queen, they'll do whatever, um, but they forget about um, those that are less fortunate. You've done the opposite. You've had exposure to some of the best and, and the biggest and the brightest in the world, but you've never forgotten those that are less fortunate, and you've actually been passionate about helping them 
um, through their life's journey in a, a lot of different ways. Why don't you talk about some of the things that you've done through uh, your foundation and outside of your foundation um, with some of the educational programs that, that you've uh, helped create? Well, we've tried to do a lot in America with the foundations for education and other fields. And then in China, we built an AIDS center for these poor young kids that didn't have mothers or fathers or grandparents. I mean, it was just tragic. And then we went into Abu Dhabi, and we built, we're trying to build gymnasium for people that are not able to have the normal uh, agility that other people that we are, you and I have. In South Africa, mm-hmm. we've built two schools. So uh, we go around in England, we built a center for the homeless, people that were sleeping in the streets. And, you know, people were calling them bums. And through the help of the Berenberg Bank, in uh, in Germany, we built this uh, home in London, and uh, called De Paul. And now today, you've got people in there that were sleeping in the streets that are doctors and lawyers as such. And this company, mm-hmm. Bernberg, supplied them with all the necessary equipment to become well educated. And we've seen from the very bottom of a person's life to go right to the top. So it shows you if people are given a chance. If people are given right. a chance, what a difference it makes in life. And that's what we all need. We all need a chance. But we must never forget mm-hmm. what made this country great is faith, family, mm-hmm. and hard work. Yep. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. The three pillars uh, of really, you know, and, and, and people measure success, unfortunately, by you know, how much money they make or how much, um, you know, things that they own or stuff they have. And really, that's not the case. It, it's really about how much you give. Um, and I don't mean necessarily monetarily, but giving of your time and of your support to others who, uh, again, are less fortunate because there's no greater gift than when you've helped lift somebody else up uh, out of despair. And uh, you have, again, have been a, a true ambassador um, in that area your, really your whole life. And I know you'll continue to do that. Um, uh, you know, as the years progress, but, um, you know, Gary, you just have done so many great things. And I mean, you know, we could spend hours um, talking about all of them, but um, what is one of the things that you're most proud of? No pride think, is, is something that we don't like. I think uh, when I was in South Africa and I was president of the PGA of South Africa and this is in the 60s. And I said, listen, gentlemen, it was a, an all-white committee. I said, we've got to – and we had about 10 fine young black golfers in South Africa at that time. And I said, you know, we've got to vote two black guys on our committee so we can go forward. And I said, I know you'll all vote with me. And I said, but if you don't vote a black or two blacks on our committee, I'm resigning as PJ president and they never did it, and they never thought I would ever resign, and I did. And, you know, I stood my mm-hmm. ground there, which was really important, of which the black golfers really appreciated that forever. And then we also had a tournament called Caddy for Gary. So all the caddies in the country played a tournament, and the winner came to caddy for me in England uh, on a few tournaments on the tour there, which was really nice. And then we, Sun City in South Africa, which is probably the greatest resort on the planet, they have a crocodiles uh, in, the, in the golf course, in the, in the water holes around the greens, it's, but it's very safe, and you have all the wild animals around uh, the other side of the fence, and you're playing golf, and you can see them, and they have the great casinos and two golf courses. Uh, they have everything you need, great restaurants. It's an incredible place, and that was such a joy. Uh, to play there and to train one particular young black golf caddy. He came out of the he came out of the hills. He didn't know anything about golf, and we trained him. and He caddied for me in England, and we won the British Open seniors. and He then went on to caddy for Brandon Grace uh, and won uh, a lot of uh, tournaments. And then he caddied for uh, Louis Oosthuizen and won the British Open. And here was a guy that was in a tiny little house in the mountains became. A millionaire, and I mean, when you see those kind of things happen, that is such joy. Right. When you, because I was poor, 
I struggled like a junkyard mm-hmm. dog. My mother died when I was nine <laughs> years of age. Right. My brother went to war. My sister was at boarding school. My father was working at a gold mine 8,000 feet down in the ground for 100 pounds a month. And so I used to come home from my school and the dark house and be on my own, try and cook my own food and lie in bed crying and wishing I was dead. But I was blessed because South Africa have the best high schools in the world, in the world by a mile. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to get this great education. I mean, today in our high schools, you'll find as many as four or five languages being spoken and the dress code and the sporting facilities. Uh, South Africa is a phenomenal country. I just hope it stays that way. I, I, I couldn't concur more. Um, you know, one of the things, Gary, that is, is interesting, um, you know, going back to, to golf, is not only the, le- the lessons that you learn, obviously, to play the game, but the life lessons, as you pointed out. And I want to go back in time a little bit because you mentioned, you know, um, growing up and that, some of the difficulties and, and that that you faced. What was, what was it about golf that appealed to you? When did it sort of take root in, in your soul and say, this is something I want to do? What was sort of the story that got Gary Player into golf? Well, my father uh, worked on the gold mine and they allowed you to play there uh, on the weekends. I mean, in the, every gold mine there, its own golf course, which were beautiful golf courses. And one day he said to me, come and play golf. And I said, not for me. That's a, a sissy's game. I don't want to play that game. Thank <laughs> goodness I went and played with him. And that's what got me started. And I'm so grateful for what golf has done for me. My goodness me, how do you ever work out what a sport can do for somebody? Let's say you play in the NFL or you play bar- basketball or baseball. You're there for a beer. you NFL, if you the average, I think, is about four years. All right, you do get people like uh, like Tom Brady, Brady. I mean, who plays for a right. long time, exception. But I mean, the average guy is four years. Golf. I mean, I've been a pro, as I said, for nearly sixty-five years and can still play well. Yeah. I mean, what a sport, yeah. honestly. And that also the sport it helps the average young man in his business. If a young man only knew he's got to, if you can, you got to have a sport. As you get older, because most people, and with obesity, the biggest problem facing America today, I think, is obesity. The young people are looking at their phones all damn day long, and they're not going to the yeah. gym enough, and they're not exercising. And then, obviously, they eat more, and they get heavier, and then you get diabetes. Diabetes, they're going to be 100 million Americans with diabetes in 50 years' time, unless they find a better cure than insulin. So, And the, one of the best cures is not eating junk and exercising. Mm-hmm. Now, it's all right to have a cell phone, but the parents have got to make sure that their children exercise. But you see, the schools are not doing that. In South Africa, you go right, to school, right. you all exercise. You go to the gym and you exercise. You exercise on the field. Uh, how long that'll last, I don't know. But this is what's happening. The human being is deteriorating in, in a physical ability. And let me tell you something, Ted. Um, I might be wrong, but I don't know if healthcare systems will be working in 60, 70, uh, X amount of years' time. People are getting so sick with cancer, diabetes, and heart attacks. Right. Millions are dying. Millions are getting it. That the demand, I don't know whether they'll be able to afford it because people are getting very sick. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it, it's an interesting point, and I, I want to talk about fitness a little bit because, again, for those that, that know um, your story—that's something you're very passionate about. But you're, you know, you're you're exactly right because we see. I remember just going back uh, 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 probably a couple of decades when George Bush Sr. was um, president of the United States, and I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger came in as sort of a a fitness czar, if you will, and he talked about after-school programs, and there was this real big push on, you know, getting the kids involved physically. And then all of a sudden, a short time after, it sort of disappeared. And now they're doing the opposite. They're, they're getting rid of these uh, programs, both in the schools and even some of the after-school uh, programs. And you're right. Obesity is, has become a, a, a big problem. And I don't understand why there was an about-face. But this is something that, obviously, you're very passionate about. And you have really – I mean, think about this. And I want to pay you a quick compliment here. You know, you talked about, uh, you know, 
beating your age. I mean, to shoot 72, even in the best of times, considering what, what the, the average score is now for many amateurs, at 84 years old is, is monumental. I don't think people really appreciate um, what you're able to do at 84. And part of that, and a lot of that, is not just your skill as a golfer, but how you've taken care of yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do to keep Gary Player fit. Well, when I'm finished talking to you on the phone here now, I'm going to the gymnasium and will work out very, very hard. I still push 300 pounds with my legs, and I do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of, uh, sit-ups and crunches. I work my whole body, in fact. But the big thing is the eating, you know, the things that I try. I'm not telling anybody what they must eat. Excuse me, I'm not telling people what they must eat, but what I don't, I try not to eat is white bread, any white flour. Mm-hmm. My big problem has been sugar, chocolate, and I'm now trying to cut down on, on, on sugar. I think sugar is the biggest destroyer. Yeah. Excuse me, uh, Ted. I, I think sugar is the biggest, the biggest, biggest problem. And overeating, honestly, Ted, the less you eat, the longer you live. You've got to eat properly. A lot of greens, a lot of greens, a lot of fruit, mm-hmm. a lot of vegetables, green juice. Get a blender and put in the things like cabbage and broccoli and spinach and carrots and, 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 have, and celery and have that juice. People don't do that. No wonder people get sick. They live on absolute junk. Now, it's... You've got to learn how to eat properly. And this is what upsets me again. We come back to the educational system. What school sits down? When I was at school, they had what they called a health subject. And we sat down. What are good foods? What are bad foods? How how much you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. And, I mean, that's so important. What is the most important thing in your life? The most important thing in your life is health. Now, who worries about health? You look at the average businessman, he's so overweight, it's frightening. Overweight stops a train. I went to India, Mm -hmm. and I had the most fascinating discussion with a 93-year-old man. He said to me, what is your weight now? This is when I was uh, around about 79, 80. He said, what's your weight? And I very proudly said, oh, I'm only five pounds heavier than I was when I was 25. He said, very bad. I said, why? He says, well, now that you're nearly 80, your joints are not as strong, your heart is not as strong, nothing in your body is as strong as it was. You should be five pounds under what you were in your prime. And it makes such sense. In fact, you should be 10 pounds because carrying a weight around and overeating right. is, is the quickest way to get sick. And why most people get sick by what they eat, by what they eat and the lack of exercise. Yeah, you know, uh, what, what's interesting about that is, um, and again, you're, you're exactly right. You know, when you look at the food, um, you know, I remember as you did growing up and, you know, we talked about the, the, the food groups and, and so on and so forth. And then somewhere along the line, that all changed and kind of went out the window. And, um, you know, now I think what's happening is big business is driving um, that agenda to buy their products. You know, we saw... Um, you know, the installation of soda machines in schools for a long time. Now they're starting, you know, they've started to remove them. But um, so a lot of these sugary drinks and sugary foods and and heavy in salt and that, and you're right. I mean, we've had generations now um, where people have just become uh, overweight and to the point of obesity. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. When I grew up, I mean, I cannot think of maybe one or two in my entire school system of kids that were overweight. Now it's the opposite. Oh, and yes. Oh, yes. So there's, so there's, do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's so there were maybe sad. one or two kids. And that, right. And, it, and it's just, and, you know, and then they're getting on medications and so on and so forth. But, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a terrible thing. And, and, again, you've done such a phenomenal job. I mean, it's amazing. I've, I've watched over the years as you've done many demonstrations of, of physical strength. And, and uh, I mean, it just blows the mind. Even in my best day, I couldn't do half of the stuff that, that you do and it's just oh, amazing yeah. and it's just a, a a testament to um you know to your your drive and your passion for for keeping fit and and you're exactly right and you've been again um you know to, to throw that word out you've been an, an ambassador 
uh, of fitness as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about golf. Um, Let me just say one thing, though. It, is, sure. easier yeah, to, it is easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than to get the average day man today or average young person to worry about fitness or worry about what he eats. That's the tragedy because it's not been taught. It has not been taught at schools. There's so many things that right. schools should be teaching children other than the academic system. And they're not doing it. And here, you you know, if you're the best, you know, Winston Churchill, young boys ask me what it takes to be a champion. Obviously, it's a thing called it. It's a gift that is bestowed upon you. You can't, you can't tell somebody what makes you a champion. Otherwise, everybody would be a champion. But Winston Churchill, right. my all-time hero, said, listen to this carefully. The height that great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight. But while his mm-hmm. opponents were sleeping, he was toiling upward in the night. And that means you've mm-hmm. just got to outwork everybody, whether it's education, whether it's manners, whether it's fitness. And what we've got to remember, when you live in the greatest country, there are many people that would like to destroy this wonderful country. You've got enemies. Right. And so you always mm-hmm. are at war in life, whether you like it or not. And so for the youth right. of a nation, and the youth, Winston Churchill said the youth of a nation are the trustees of posterity. It's the youth we've got to hang our coats on. And I've got mm-hmm. such confidence in the youth. But if you look at the universities in America, Ted, 9% mm-hmm. of the children either smoke, drink, or take weed. 90%. Yep. And, yep. you know, some of the universities you go there, they won't let you talk. I mean, I read about it all the yep. time. Somebody wants to go talk, and they won't let them talk. Now, is right. that freedom? The students, the students are the people we've got to hang our coats on. These are the people that have got to remember they live in the greatest country. These are the people that have got to realize they've got to carry the baton. Do you call it the baton or the baton? The baton. The baton. They've got to carry the baton to keep this country great. If anything happens to America, the whole free world will be gone in one year. Well, and I think what they don't realize, Gary, is the very thing that they believe they have, which is their freedom, is actually being taken away. And they don't realize that it's happening. And there's going to be a day when they wake up and say, you know what, what happened to our freedom? And you're exactly. exactly right. I want to, yeah, I want to make one quick point, and then I want to, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk uh, again a little bit about golf. Um, but I, I want to just say this: you know, I've had the pleasure of speaking to a lot of different people, not only through this program but others. And you know, you hear a lot of stories, a lot of people talking a, a great talk. The difference with you, um, Mr. Player, is that you live what you speak. You live through your fitness, you live through your, your ambassadorships, and you live through the game as well. And that's a rarity, even in this day and age, that a lot of people uh, can get out and give great speeches and say, you need to do this or you should be doing that. The difference with you, Mr. Player, is that you actually live what you speak. And, well, and that's thank a testament you. to... Yeah, that's a very nice thing of you to say, and I'd like to one day. I'd, all I want to do... Coming to America, I've got three children that are American citizens and 15 American grandchildren, and I love Mm. this country so much, and I see what a great country it is, and I just pray that the youth will wake up every day. You know, when I see that, uh, and this is just my opinion, it's my freedom, when I see that Mm. American uh, women's football team, they win the world championship which is such an honor for America. And I don't care right. if they don't like the president or they like the president or they don't love the, uh, the present party in power. That's their, that's their choice of freedom. But when I see sure. them, you know, not honoring the flag, the flag's not the yeah. – don't give the flag the blame for something. It's not – the flag is right. America. Don't give that the blame. It's not the flag's fault. And when I see that, I just, it just makes me very, very sad to think how many people died for that flag and how they dishonor right. it. That you can demonstrate. Sure, everybody's got That's the beautiful thing. We have the right to demonstrate. Demonstrate as much as you like. 
But don't take it yep. out on the flag. That's the thing. Look, that's just my opinion. There'll be uh, ultra-liberals that'll criticize me, and that's fine. <laughs> but I just, I adore this country, and I, I, I don't like to see that. That's all. No, I, I agree, and and uh, I, I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that will be the case. But you know what? Um, you speak the truth, and, and the you know, the truth, as they say, will set you free. Um, you know, one of the things that, that um, I wanted to, to talk about was, um, again, obviously with, with golf, but I wanted to ask you, you know, you explained a little bit how you got into the game. When did you realize, at what point in your life did you realize, okay, I've, I, I, I know I've got what it takes to, to get out and compete with some of the best in the world. How, uh, what point in, of your career did you really realize that I, I've got some game here? I was very blessed. I went to England and uh, and I played a season there and learnt an awful lot playing in bad weather, etc. And not much prize money at all. Uh, and then the next season, I was t- uh, I went to England at the age of 20 and won a tournament and shot 70, 64, 64, 68, 70, and won the tournament. And so, uh, you know, that was really uh, quite something at my age. And then I won the British Open at 23, the youngest man to ever win it at that stage. And so I was very blessed that I practiced so hard, but I was loaned, and I was loaned that thing called it. It was a gift. Mm -hmm. And I worked hard and developed that gift. And so I was very fortunate. Whereas a lot of young guys... They play and they play and they play for years and they never make it, and that's life. Yeah, and 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 again, it goes to, you know, I think if you want something and you you have a passion for something, you've got to get out there, as you mentioned in, in your, um, when you talked about what Winston Churchill said, you know, you've got to get out there and and when everybody else is sort of sleeping or or not really focused, you're out there doing what you need to do to get the job done. Um, look at Muhammad Ali. Played. Look at look at Muhammad right. Ali. How oh, yeah. he he came from nothing. He came from nothing, and right. how he became a world champion by really getting in that ring and and well, watching what he was eating. I remember him saying that he 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 also liked uh, sweets, and he said he was going to not have any more sweets. And he practiced, and you know, I mean, honestly, that guy he worked so hard. And all athletes, you know, that's why I admire athletes because. You can't become champions. You cannot become champions unless you work hard. And I think the greatest demonstration that an athlete can do is just to show people you can become a champion through hard work because people look up to athletes and they like to see it. Yep. And athletes have a debt incurred. They owe, they owe society. They're making so much money that is beyond one's mm-hmm. comprehension. So they have a debt to the public. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you've played alongside um, so many great champions like yourself. Obviously, many of them um, have been close and personal friends of yours. And uh, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, some of the top uh, players like Jack and Arnie and, and Lee Trevino and, and Billy Casper. Um, starting with Jack, what impressed you most about his game? Uh, Jack, first of all, was the greatest gentleman I ever played against. Uh, He was the best. And the thing that impressed me most, which most people lack, and that's phenomenal patience. My goodness Mm -hmm. me, he oozed with patience. (laughs) And uh, he's my best friend at the moment. Yeah, Jack is, uh, I grew up, uh, in addition to yourself, watching Jack. And, of course, uh, Arnold was a little bit, uh, before that for me but uh, Jack was was my golf hero if you will growing up and I, I couldn't agree more and it was just a, a thrill to watch all of you but uh, particularly Jack um, what about Arnold Palmer what was it about Arnie that um, well, well, really spoke yeah, well, Arnold to you Arnold Palmer wasn't the best golfer but he he did more for the game than anybody Arnold Palmer fell out of bed with charisma he was a mixture between <laughs> Clint Eastwood and John Wayne and he he did he did so many good things, and I really miss Arnold terribly because we traveled the world yeah. and were friends for 
30, 40, 50 years. I don't know how long we played around the world and he came to my ranch and I stayed with him in his home and we flew in his airplane and we went to Japan and China and Australia and South Africa. We went around the world in England and I missed him. And particularly when they put, particularly when they put on the first tee at, at, at Augusta, you know, I spoke to Arnold the year before he died, and I said to him, Arnold, I could see he was going to die. And I said, are you scared of dying? Mm. And he called me Muff. He said, no, Muff, I'm not scared of dying. And the next year we came back to Augusta. He wasn't alive, and Billy Payne put a chair on the first tee with his jacket on there, and Jack and I walked right. out onto the first tee. Man, we were both in tears. Man, alive. We, uh -huh. uh, I miss him. He did, he did so much for the game. He was... He was the John Wayne of golf. Yeah, he, you know, it, it's interesting. Let me let me just show you the difference. In, and I know you already know this, but um, uh, you may not know the story I'm going to share with you. But um, I recently had a guest on my program who worked. Uh, he was a young pro at the time and worked at Bay Hill with, with, um, with the group there and, and, of course, got to meet uh, Mr. Palmer all the time. And he said what really struck him about Arnold was not – so much his, his game, and, and obviously that was, was uh, interesting to watch and his charisma. But he said that he was willing to do some of the simplest things. And I'll give you an example. He said he went out uh, in the cart one morning, and I'm talking about this other gentleman, and he said he saw somebody out there, and they were picking something off the ground. And he pulled up, and it was Arnold Palmer. And he said, Mr. Palmer, he said, what are you, what are you doing? This is like 6, 6.30 in the morning. And he was picking up cigarette butts that had been tossed out by – players from the, you know the previous day or what have you or earlier in the morning and here was mr palmer uh and this was not that long ago you know one of the most famous golfers in the world out on bay hill picking up cigarette butts just cleaning up the golf course i mean he was willing to humble himself so much even though he had been blessed with so much and that says a lot about his character and him as a gentleman would you agree absolutely and I never saw him ever. Now, think about this. Every other athlete I've been around, sometime or other, I've seen him get irritated with people mm. who might be drunk and slobbing around you or, or you know, just being <laughs> right. very, very difficult. I never saw Arnold ever lose his patience with people. It was fantastic. He loved people. Uh, he Look, Arnold yeah. Palmer had a very short golf career. Nicholas won majors mm. for 25 years. I won for 20. Arnold won for six. But that didn't matter. Yep. He did something more important than that. Arnold Palmer mm. was a person's, uh, a people's man, and, and I just loved him. Yeah, he was, uh, he was definitely um, somebody that you know, we will all uh, remember. Um, just a couple of more, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll get ready to wrap up. Lee Trevino was somebody else, again, who came from very, very humble beginnings and yet went on to, uh, to win many, many tournaments. Um, express your thoughts when you, because you, I know you've played against him over the years. What was your thoughts uh, and impression of Lee Trevino? Uh, Lee Trevino, uh, the best golfer I ever saw in my life from tee to green was Ben Hogan. But, you know, tee to green isn't the whole game. And the second best mm -hmm. I ever saw from tee to green uh, was Lee Trevino. Lee Trevino is definitely will hit more greens and more fairways than, and, than, than any other player playing today. I can tell you that. If you gave him all this equipment, I tell you, I don't know, he might never miss a fairway. But he, and he was, <laughs> and I always loved Lee. I love Lee. He's a very dear friend of mine. And we have so many great laughs together. He's always laughing. What a what a great asset to oh. always be laughing. Uh, and, you know, the, the Merry Mex is the most perfect title for him. But he was deceptive. Right. He got very, very, he oh. got very, very, well, even a slightly uptight. Once he got near the ball, he was a different person. But, uh, no, he was he was just fantastic. And, I mean, you look at players like, like Sam Snead, I mean, the greatest athlete the game yeah. ever saw. How, what would have happened? He might be the best player that ever lived. You've got to remember, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Tiger Woods is a man I really admire with his game and how well he's done. But he plays with a different, it's a different game. You know, he's got clubs sure. that 
hit the ball 50 yards further, a ball that never drops out of the sky, perfect greens, no spike marks, bunkers all raked with the machine, a private jet playing for a million-dollar first prize every week. You can't compare Nicholas right. and Tiger Woods. It's not possible no. to compare them. You can only say so-and-so was the best in his era. That's all you can do. You right. cannot make, make comparisons. It's, it's absolutely... How about Bobby Jones? Bobby Jones might be mm -hmm. the best player that ever lived. If you look at his swing, he has a better swing than anybody playing golf today other than Rory McIlroy. His swing was perfection. And he played with a, a, a shaft that was a th one inch thick with a piece of wood. Think about it. Huh. And chamois grips. <laughs> Chamois grips and no grooves on the club and a ball that went 100 yards less than now and they put the pin in the same place all four days in a tournament. They never raked the bunkers. There were no rakes. Think about right. this. And the fairways were long. And I mean, they never had mowers like this. Can you imagine how great he was? Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, you have to look at it from... Um, as each generation, there is a player that stands out. Nicholas obviously was in his generation, and, and Tiger we've seen, uh, you know, in this generation. And there will be somebody, you know, in the next decade that'll that'll uh, I'm sure even surpass that, um, just with the way that the game is going. Let me just mention um, one more player, and then I, I want to ask you um, briefly a little bit about the, the today's game, and you touched on it a little bit about equipment. Um, Billy Casper was one. I interviewed Billy Casper uh, about two years before he passed away, and I've become very good friends uh, with one of his, his sons, uh, Byron Casper. And uh, Billy was, uh, again, a very humble man, very generous of his time. I mean, I actually had him for two hours uh, on my show uh, uh, when I was first starting out. And, um, you know, he was a very, very humble man, but sort of behind the scenes. You know, obviously we always saw Arnie, we always saw Jack, we saw you sort of in the forefront um, but Billy had a, a, a very incredible career as well, but he was much more in the background. Share your thoughts um, and what you remember of, of Billy Casper. Billy Casper was a very dear friend of mine, and I admired him very much indeed. But there was a reason why he was in the background, Ted. He only won two majors. I mean, you yep. know, Arnold Jack and I were winning between us, you know, so many majors and so there, that's the reason he was in the background there's a reason now he was a he was a wonderful golfer and nobody uh, admired him more with his golf but he didn't win all these these major championships and so you know that was why he was in the background now uh there's so many players you take a, a man like tom weisskopf tom weisskopf was a better mm -hmm. golfer than jack nicholas but he won mm -hmm. one major, one major on the regular tour, right. and one major on the senior tour. And then Billy Casper came out on the senior tour, and he didn't win a lot of majors on the senior tour either. So, you know, the record, right. book, there's a, the record book never lies. You want to see who the best right. players are, pick up the record book. Don't read about, oh, this guy had that, or he had charisma, or he hit the ball a long way. <laughs> Just look at the record book. And people don't do that. Even the people that are judging the best players that ever lived, they, they, they get influenced by other matters other than what is in the record book. You're, you're exactly right. I think, you know, I think Tom that, Watson... I think Tom Watson, Tom Watson was a way better golfer than, than Billy Casper. Not a comparison. And nobody mentions it. He won eight majors, man. And he won majors yep. on, the, yep. on the senior. He won majors on the senior tour. Man, Tom Watson was a hangover player. Yeah, Tom Watson, I always enjoyed watching him as well, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, what's really uniquely interesting is when you look at the game, and, and I'm kind of going – uh, back a little bit with with yourself and 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 um, uh, you know Jack and Arnie and, and Lee and some of the others Chichi Rodriguez. What was different about that time is each of you had a uniquely different swing. You obviously the fundamentals were were essentially the same, and and obviously you, you know you you understood um, the mechanics of the golf swing. But you all looked different when when you watched uh, if you were to compare all of you together. But when you look at today's modern game. Everybody seems to have virtually, with a few exceptions, uh, Jim Furyk comes to mind and, and obviously Freddie Couples, but, um, but everybody sort of has the same cookie-cutter-looking swing. Is that why do you think that you don't see, with the exception of Tiger and maybe Rory, a lot of domination in the sport? 
because everybody's kind of on the same level. I really cannot answer that, unfortunately. Uh, Tiger Woods is dominated. Uh, if Tiger Woods never had the problems that he had, and which can happen to all of us in our lives, we must never be judgmental. If Tiger Woods never had his problems, he would have won at least at least 20 majors. I mean, it's yeah. just a, a very sad thing because here's a man that won the U.S. Open by 15 shots at Pebble Beach. Not five, 15. And the next week yeah. or so, he's having lessons. Now, he had lessons because he wanted to try and get even better. But that was to his detriment. Uh, and yeah. then he had these back operations and knee operations and then getting divorced. All these things put you back. Sure. But my goodness me, he's a tsunami. He came back last year and won Augusta. I mean, I never thought, you know, everybody says, oh, yes, I knew he'd win tournaments. I never thought he'd win another golf tournament, never mind a major. And he came back right. and excelled. That and Ben Hogan's comeback after being crashed in a car are the two greatest comebacks yep. I've ever seen in sport. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just remarkable. Yeah, Tiger has you know, has, has always been full of surprises. You know, there have been moments in, in rounds when, you know, he would, and it was always interesting is, you know, he, he certainly led tournaments, but many of the tournaments he won, he actually was just lurking somewhere in the background a few strokes back, and then all of a sudden he made his move and, you know, ultimately would win the tournament. Um, but you're exactly right. Uh, I think without his injuries and, and, and obviously personal uh, things that he has dealt with, I think we would have seen a much different outcome than what we have seen. But I, I, again, I mean, I couldn't have been more excited when he won last year's Masters, and I'm eager to see uh, him defend that title uh, in the fall this year. Um, let me just um, go with one more topic, and then we'll close out, and that is the, today's equipment. What are your thoughts on today's equipment? Obviously, vastly different than when uh, you know you were younger and playing with the equipment you did. What do you think of today's equipment? Do you think they've gone too far? Is it making the game to the point where, um, and I don't want to use the term skill, but the clubs are, are increasingly helping them go farther, the ball and so forth. And Jack has been very open about scaling some of that back. Do you agree with his assessment or do you think that we just need to leave it as it is and, and things will sort of sort itself out as, as we move along? I'm a great believer in leaving all the equipment exactly as it is and even better if they want to for the average weekend golfer because golf mm -hmm. is the weekend golfer. Golf is not the professional golfer. And we need more young people to play this game. And we've got to put our heads together and get them to participate. Professional golf is a different game to amateur golf. And I know that certain yes. people, officials, won't agree with me. But if you want to just see how different it is, go on the first tee and watch Kepka play or watch... Uh, or watch Rory or watch Tiger play, and you'll realize it's a different game. Oh, so what we should do is we should cut the ball back 50 yards and not make this right. equipment any more in, compared to what we played with. It's illegal, but it's not officially right. illegal. And so what is going to happen? We've got to have vision in life and in sports. And we're going to have people in 40 years' time get on the first tee at Augusta which is 450 yards long, and he's going to drive it on the green. They're going to hit the ball mm -hmm. 50 yards past Kepka and Rory McIlroy right now, depending on how far the ball can go, which I don't know. But the thing is, you got, and I'm proud to say I started the physical fitness on the golf tour in 1953. Nobody was doing weight mm -hmm. training except Frank Stranahan and myself, and we were ridiculed. And uh, some of these yep. people on the Golf Channel still ridicule Tiger and right. Rory for the weight training they do. They, they're really ignorant of the fact what weight training does. There's no such thing as muscle-bound. If you muscle-bound, you muscle-bound before you start exercising. Now, to prove my point, you watch these guys get in the long-driving competition. they built like Mr. Universe. You'd think right. they were muscle-bound. They're oozing with muscles, and they take the club back, and the club goes way beyond parallel, and they follow through right around their body. Where's the muscle-bound part of that body? Where is it? 
And so these guys coming in the future are going to all hit the ball over 400 yards because there's such incentivization. Lee Kuan Yew of Singapore, one of the greatest leaders the world ever said, he said, you've got to incentivize people. And so people in China and Africa and India and around the world are seeing in the great country of America, they're playing for a million-dollar first prize every week. They're going to work their butts off like nobody ever did, and they're going to come out here built like Tarzan. We ain't seen nothing yet. And so the sooner the <laughs> golf leaders in the business realize what's going to happen in the future, they better cut the ball back because it's going to make golf a joke. They're going to hit a wedge to every par five at Augusta, except number eight. Yep. They're going to drive the third green. They're going to drive the first green. I mean, we ain't seen nothing yet. So we better wake up yeah. and prepare. Yeah, and, and they've made several adjustments. That, you know, when Tiger uh, came out and, and, you know, did just that at, at Augusta National, um, they made adjustments. They lengthened the course in order to accommodate that. But there's, again, you can only lengthen a course so much, and then it becomes to a point where, now obviously Augusta is a little bit different, but, um, you know, many of these resort courses not, uh, you know, for a long time came out that were, I mean, I know one just down the street from where I live that was 7,800 yards. The average person can't play that kind of course. No. It's just too long. No, but here's the and, point. But you're missing hmm. the point, if I may say this. And everybody that does falls into this trap. It's what it's going to cost to make these golf courses longer. Water. We're yeah. running out of water in the world, Ted. Now, a young man who doesn't know anything about nature will laugh at that because he leaves his tap running when he has a shower and he doesn't worry about putting right. taps off and they leave it running in their garden and it's raining It's raining in the street and the water sprinklers are going. We're running out of water. There are a lot of countries that don't have water and it's coming here as well. Now, it might not happen in every state, but in Nevada and California, we've already seen it happening. Right. We've got to watch the yep. water. So now we're using too much water on golf courses. No golf course should be allowed to exist unless they have effluent water, which is sewerage water, refined. And the other thing is we're going to use more fertilizer, which is not good for the soil continuously using fertilizer. I'm a farmer. I know that. And the other things, machinery, right. cost millions, millions. So what we do is putting ourselves in a hole, and the members are hating it. They're making the greens yep. undulating. When I design a golf course, I make the greens very soft because I know the average man can't play that well. So we're making the greens undulating. We're making the courses longer. It's just one big mess. Yeah, and, and this goes to just sort of the final point. It, this really goes to if you, if you look at many of the stats that have come out um, through various organizations, the National Golf Foundation is one and, and others that talk about handicaps. You know, barely in 20, 30 years have we seen that number come down. There's a reason for that. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, why do you think so down. many amateurs? It cannot yeah. come down because they're making the golf courses too difficult. How could it come down? It's not possible. Mm. And the average guy is only playing once a week, maybe. So he doesn't sure. get a chance to practice. And so when you make the – I could – you know what? I can take a normal little old golf course, and if I make those greens undulating and slick and hard, they'll never – they won't play within five shots of their handicap. We've got to make the fairways wider, the greens less undulating, and not make the golf courses so long because it's putting golf courses into bankruptcy. You know how many courses have gone into – into bankruptcy? Yeah. How many golf courses have gone into bankruptcy? Many, many, many because of, of the wrong, the wrong uh, leadership in the club. Ted, I've, I've got to go now. I've got uh, my trainer yep. here, so I've got to go. He's waiting here for me. <laughs> okay. Well, Gary, thank you very, very much. It's been an honor and a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you uh, again with Cindy uh, next Tuesday. My best love to all your listeners. Take care. All right. Thank you, Gary. All right. That was Gary Player, uh, the legendary Gary Player, and uh, known as the Black Knight. Um, it's been a great honor having him on this special encore edition of Golf Talk Live. And as mentioned, he will be joining uh, Cindy Miller and I uh, and our other guest, uh, Steve Colton from Encore Golf. He'll be joining us next Tuesday 
uh, on the Women of Golf show here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, if you've missed or you've joined us late in the program, uh, you can go to blogtalkradio.com, type in, in the search key, type in Golf Talk Live, uh, and that will take you to the main page. And you will see that uh, the show will, uh, in, a, in a few moments, will compile and be in the on-demand section so you can listen to uh, this interview in its entirety. Um, or there's some other great ways that you can uh, tune in as well, some other great uh, platforms that you can listen to the program. But uh, again, I want to thank everybody for joining me on this uh, encore presentation uh, with my very special guest, uh, Mr. Gary Player. And uh, I'll we'll be back tomorrow uh, with my regularly scheduled Golf Talk Live program tomorrow evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.